Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NILA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the Board of Directors of NILA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And welcome back. Thanks for coming back to listen to us again. I'm Max Barrick. And I'm Amit Bindra. And we are again speaking with Megan O'Malley, one of the principals and founding members of O'Malley and Madden PC. Megan is, can everybody hear my dog squeaking a rubber ball in the background? I can. I can. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> Great. This is a very professional podcast. Megan, as everybody heard on our last episode with Megan, um, Megan is an outstanding trial lawyer who has the energy and determination to help hold the city accountable and to try to make them better and, and advocate for her clients. One of Megan's other real accomplishments as an attorney has been that she's also been incredibly instrumental in trying to improve the judiciary in her work with Courts Matter to advocate for a more fair, diverse, and fully staffed federal judiciary, which is not always the case. Uh, people may not know that because federal judges are appointed by, by the president and confirmed with the Senate, depending on what's going on in Congress, we often have senators refusing to seat judges such that we have a backlog of cases cases and not enough judges. So Megan's going to talk about that. Um, as far as her accomplishments, she's also been recognized as a leading lawyer in the areas of civil rights and employment law, and as an Illinois super lawyer in the area of employment law. She frequently speaks at national seminars on employment law and whistleblower issues, and has been an instructor at the American Bar Association section of Labor and Employment Law's Trial Institute. Megan has also appeared on NPR and other media to discuss employment law issues as they relate to the judiciary. Megan, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. So last time you were on, as I mentioned, we talked about uh, some of your somewhat more recent jury verdicts in the area of police misconduct, whistleblowing cases, including during the age of COVID. Today, we thought we would talk a little bit more about these other aspects of your career, you know, your practice and, and your courts matter work. Just generally, how'd you end up in employment law doing all of this? So when I was in high school, I grew up in a fairly all white town that was small town, pretty idyllic, you know, ride your bike throughout the neighborhood. Your parents have no idea where you are because you have no cell phone, <laughs> but they're not worried because you'll eventually make it home and one of the neighbors will see you. And when I was in high school in my U.S. history class, we got assigned this project where we had to read these legal cases and argue both sides of them. And the cases that I was assigned were police misconduct cases. And they were largely about excessive force where the cops were sort of beating the tar out of citizens and the citizens would sue. And I, as a 16 year old who grew up in utopia, I guess, I didn't believe this could actually happen in real life. So I said to my teacher, I don't, these are hypotheticals, right? Like police officers would never, ever, ever beat people up because of course, that's against the law. And he kind of chuckled and, you know, said, no, these are real cases that I assigned you to read. These are actual legal cases. And I said, well, no, the cops would never do that. And, you know, he's like, no, Megan, these are real cases. I said, well, what do people do? You know, when the cops beat them up, like, that's not fair. They're supposed to go to court and they're supposed to like get a trial. And he said, well, they go to court, but they sue the cops when that happens. They actually get lawyers. They're called civil rights lawyers. And, you know, they 
sue the cops for doing, you know, what you said is wrong. And so I said, well, that's what I want to do. So when I went to law school, I was one of the very few people who decided that I knew what I wanted to do early on in life. And I wanted to be a civil rights attorney. I ended up getting a job during law school as a law clerk at a civil rights firm, but it was a civil rights firm that focused on employment discrimination and the Civil Rights Act as it relates to employment. So that's kind of, and I didn't even know that was a thing, you guys. I thought that that was, I, I didn't know that you could sue your employer for discrimination. I had no idea. I actually didn't even know that people would be discriminated against. That didn't make sense to me, <laughs> but I learned a lot. <laughs> so I thought, oh man, I, I think I'll do that. And so that's kind of, I developed the love of employment discrimination. I think that, you know, when you take away somebody's livelihood and also, you know, that sort of core part of their identity of who they are and what they do, it's really harmful. So I really loved that work and continued with it. One of the one of the fun parts to getting to do this is we've gotten to hear everybody's. And once again, nobody's answer has ever been, I got into civil rights law for the money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's our streak of however many we've asked that question to. Still it ain't, oh, because it's so lucrative. So <laughs> I thought it was easy. I was going to make a lot. It was going to be a nine to five, real easy cases, very simple, you uncontroversial. Know, <laughs> my kids, when my kids went to elementary school, they started getting homework packets in kindergarten, like worksheets and tons of them. And it drove me nuts as a parent. And I went on this crusade at their elementary school to say, this is ridiculous. Why are you giving these little tiny children homework? There should be no homework. And I was so adamant that there should be no homework. And my kids finally said to me as they got a little older and would watch me bring work home and work on my laptop and stay late at work to write these briefs, brief after brief after brief. And they finally said, mom, I think we know why you hate homework so much. I said, why? And they said, because your job has homework like every night. <laughs> I laughed so hard. I thought, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> so, but I still love it. That's awesome. So when we ended the last episode, you, you, you shout out your husband as, you know, your shout out of the week. And also he's your business partner. How did you transition then into opening a firm with your husband? So my story is a little bit unique because I didn't really go to a firm and have sort of a mentor and learn the ropes from somebody else for a while. It's kind of the, you know, I always tell young lawyers, if you find yourself in a bad spot or out of a job, like, don't worry about it. It'll all work out because uh, the firm that I clerked for just, I thought, you know, we had talked about them bringing me in and then I, I, they just weren't in a position to bring in another associate at the time that I graduated. And so that kind of fell through. And then I went to, so I, I, I just found the first job I could take. Like I, I was so young and stupid. I had no idea who did civil rights or employment work on the plaintiff side versus the defense side. And I'm a dinosaur, so I'm gonna out myself for that because I went to the Sullivan's book law directory. There was no internet law directory then. So I went to the Sullivan's book and I just looked, I sent a resume cold to anyone who did employment discrimination. Little did I know I was sending it to the defense bar too. I'm sure they were laughing at me. <laughs> so, Amazing. Actually, this is a true story. I started litigating against one of them like three months into my law practice. And it was a firm that I had sent a resume and cover letter to. And so in the middle of the case, they sent me a rejection letter. <laughs> you you, you know that, was, that had to be intentional, right? It was so intentional. You still have it? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, actually, I don't know. Maybe I do. <laughs> but I... Uh, you yeah. win the case, you should frame it against them. I know, them. right? <laughs> it was hilarious. I was like, oh, okay. All right. Good play, Anya. <laughs> you know? But anyway, 
so I was working at this solo practitioner for a solo practitioner for like six months or so. And I had to get out of there because, and I think I'm allowed to say this publicly because I'm not naming his name and also because it's public record, but he had some serious ethical issues. And I was like terrified of staying there. I was like, oh my gosh, I am not staying at this firm. This guy gets letters from the ARDC every other day. And so I actually asked John Madden, my, my, wasn't even my husband at the time, but I was like, what should I do? You know, should I, should I just send cover letters that say like, I want to take all the clients with me because I feel morally obligated not to leave them with this guy. And he said, no, you should just start your own practice. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like 10 years old. I don't know how to practice law. He's like, yes, you do. You've been doing everything, you know, cause I did day one, he handed me a file and said, you go argue this dispositive motion in court. And I was like, Duh. Oh my gosh, you know, I had done depths, pre-trial conferences. The only thing I hadn't done in those six months was a trial. And so it's like, look, you've done more in your, you know, first six months practicing than most lawyers have done in their first, you know, few years. I mean, you really had to teach yourself and you know what you're doing. And I said, okay, well, that may be true. Maybe sort of, right? <laughs> like, but I, I certainly don't know how to run a law practice. That sounds ridiculous. I don't know how to open a business. He's like, you need clients, a phone and a computer. And you already have the clients and a computer and phone are really easy. And so I, he just gave me the courage to do it. And I think it was like, also I was 26 years old. And so I was stupid and I thought, well, whatever, I can always get a job, you know? So I, I kind of am glad that I did it when I was so young, because I think if I was 32 and already had a couple of kids, I would have been more scared, but I did it. And then after about a year of me practicing and not falling flat on my face and keeping the doors open, John decided, you know, I'd, I'd like to do that. Being your own boss thing kind of looks good. And so he started his own practice. And then we each had our own practice for about a year another year and then we got engaged to be married and then it was like well we're not going to have two separate practices so we had quite the super merger in 2001 <laughs> we merged our practices in february to start o'malley and madden and we got married to each other in may and i am happy to say that we celebrated 20 years of both just last month i was gonna so. say you got a, you had a couple of big anniversaries that's exciting how how do you guys practice together because that's to me that would be think maybe more to my wife that would be really I mean she's not an attorney but if she were I, I I don't know that she could work with me I don't think a lot of people can work with me how do you guys pull that off so John and I have very different answers to this question and I like my answer better my answer is that we actually like each other a lot and one of the things when we had separate practices we'd meet for lunch every day and I you know bounce ideas off of each other and also just because we like to hang out with each other and so I, I'm always like, you know, he's my best friend. I like being with him all day. If I didn't, I wouldn't have married him. And when people ask Don that, he says, <laughs> he always says, well, you know, in today's busy age, like couples are always fighting for time to spend together. But Megan and I spend so much time together. We're together all day, every day. So we actually have to fight for time to spend apart. Like, wait, what? I just got done telling everybody how much I love spending all my time with you. So, no, it actually works out well. We have very complementary strengths and weaknesses. And actually, when we were in law school, our first year, we met in our legal writing class, and our legal writing professor brought us aside at the end of the at the end of the course, and he said, "You know, I I always give out a top award, top grade award, to one of my students, and this year I really couldn't decide." And I got to tell you, you guys have 
really different writing styles. They're so different, but I just couldn't decide which one of you I thought was a better writer. So for the first time in my entire career as a professor, I'm going to give out a co-award to both of you. And now I some tickled that, well, then we got married. <laughs> so, so is that how you um, met in your legal writing class at law school? Indeed. No fun story of spilling coffee on me. It's just, yeah, we were both first year lawyers in the same legal writing. <laughs> was that still cool? That's really cool. Was that professor at your wedding? He was. That's awesome. He was. That's really yes. cool. Yes. And I have to tell you also that when the summer after our first year, I think it was, yeah, we both decided to take uh, appellate technique and because it was taught in the federal courtroom by federal judge Blanche Manning and we were both kind of you know so enamored like oh you could take a class in a federal courtroom that's so cool but it was on a Saturday morning and so on Saturday mornings when you're in your 20s maybe sometimes you're a little tired and don't want to be in class and so we would sit in the jury box for class and we would pass notes to each other and we weren't dating then we were just friends and but he was clearly smitten with me because he was always flirting and passing notes and so then at the end of the class judge manning said i'm going to assign you guys partners to work on your final appellate brief and appellate arguments with and she assigned me to john and so i said to him john how much money did you pay her to be my partner and he's like oh i was going to ask you the same thing so years later we get married and of course have children and I'm at a settlement conference with Judge Manning and I had to tell her that story during one of our downtimes. I said, you can take credit for bringing us. Cause we actually, it was during that class. It was when we were doing our appellate, we had to watch the video together and critique each other's arguments that we finally decided we were gonna start dating. And so the rest is history. That's so cool. So I, this is about as smooth a transition as not possible, but to transition <laughs> from that to courts matter. All right. Um, so we, we talked about the magical love story of your law firm, and now we're going to talk about the federal judiciary. Those things line up. I think they do. Uh, and that's actually how I met Megan, is I wanted to learn more about the judiciary. There was something you actually said to me, you probably don't remember this, but it definitely stuck with me, is uh, we were getting coffee. It was actually at the Starbucks near DePaul's Law School. And you mentioned to me one issue with the judiciary. It's not that, it's not just diversity, but it's diversity across um, economic and background spectrums. Like you need diversity in terms of education levels, practice areas, all across the board. So tell us a little bit about what you do with Courts Matter, why you're advocating to improve the federal judiciary and how you kind of got involved in that process. I will. And it is a great segue, Max, because I love the federal judiciary issues that I work on because I think they're so important. And, I, and not quite as much as I love John Madden, but I do love them. And here's why. Here's why federal courts matter. They matter to us, you guys, because that's where we practice, right? And that's where our clients get justice. And it's super important to get a fair shake in court. And it's super important to have a judge who understands, you know, where you're coming from and who understands um, the issues that are present in the workplace and every day. And not, obviously, every judge isn't going to have employment law background, clearly, just like every judge isn't going to have an antitrust background or a criminal background. I mean, the federal judges are expected to, to have, to adjudicate a broad spectrum of issues. And so they're not going to have necessarily experience in your area, but to have a level of empathy just from your life experience and your professional background and to bring those various perspectives, you know, to the court, I think are super important. And so it's important to our clients in our particular area of law because the civil rights issues are all decided in federal court, the Civil Rights Act, the Equal Pay Act, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, right? However, it's important to us as citizens of this United States of America. 
if you want clean air and water and you want to protect your environment, oh, who decides those issues? I don't know. I think it's federal judges under the Clean Air and Clean, air, clean Water Act, right? If you care about reproductive rights, where do those rights get decided? Oh, federal court. You care about sensible gun control and gun violence protection you know, laws, where do those get decided? Federal court. You care about health care? How is the ACA protected? Supreme Court, right? You care about criminal justice, police misconduct, free speech, immigration, money and politics, voting rights, every single one of those issues that affects every single one of us in the United States on a daily basis, all get decided in federal court. Consumer protections, you know, all of those things, the Consumer Protection Acts and stuff, those all get decided in federal court. And so all of those things are so super important because they affect our everyday lives. And those federal judges are seated for life. And I think that so many people in Chicago have this misunderstanding that we elect these judges, but we don't. We elect state court judges. The federal court judges are appointed by the president, confirmed by the Senate, often at the district court level, they're suggested by the senators, and they, they sit on that bench for life. We have judges well into their 80s on um, our, here in Chicago, many of them who've been on the bench for decades. And so that's why it's so important and that's why I don't mind spending my free time you know working on those issues and I first got involved because of NILA because of NILA National I am the co-chair of their judicial judicial nominations committee and back in 2011 when Obama was president we were invited to sort of a White House summit on judicial nominations with a huge broad coalition of national partners who care about the judiciary and it was sort of an outgrowth of that meeting with all these coalition partners that we talked about these courts matter groups. And the one of the groups that was involved was the National Council of Jewish Women is a great partner on these judiciary issues. And so it was myself and two women from the National Council of Jewish Women who came back from that and said we should do a courts matter group here in Illinois. So that's how it got started. You covered sort of how it got to be and, and how you got involved there. Can you just kind of a brief overview for the uninitiated? How does a federal judge get initiated or get, excuse me, initiated, nominated and appointed? Okay, so the federal courts are divided into circuits and then various districts within the circuits. And so our circuit, for example, is the Seventh Circuit, which covers Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. And within Illinois, we have a Northern District of Illinois, Central District of Illinois, a Southern District of Illinois for the trial courts. The appellate court is all three states and it sits here in Chicago. The, so every circuit and every state senator does it differently. Most, I would say, have a screening committee. And so for the district court, the trial court level judges, which there's many more of, those are, your senators are usually a lot more involved in suggest and picking, selecting individuals to be nominated to the federal courts. And they will send those names to the White House. Some senators will send one name. Some senators will send three names for one vacancy and let the White House choose among them. And many of those senators will have a screening committee. So the screening committee is sort of selected by the senator's office and it may be five to 15 people. Some senators have a dual screening committee. Uh, here in, in Illinois right now, Senator Durbin and Senator Duckworth kind of uh, have a dual screening committee. When there are senators from different parties, 
So Wisconsin has a dual screening committee, even though Senator Baldwin is Democrat and Senator Johnson is a Republican, they've tried to have this bipartisan screening committee. Other times when we have a Democrat and a Republican, we don't have a dual screening committee. We sort of have this take turns process. So every state does it a little bit differently, but a lot of them follow the screening committee where the committee members are usually lawyers and they're chosen by the senators. And one thing that's super important is to make sure that that screening committee is also diverse, both demographically by race, gender, religion, national origin, disability, all of those things, but also to make sure that that screening committee is diverse with regard to professional background, which is what you had mentioned on it that we had talked about. And that is, that has been something that Neela has been at the forefront of. We, we presented a paper on the, why it's important for judges to have a professional background diversity, this experiential diversity. Many of the federal judges have always followed this sort of same resume of federal prosecutor goes to corporate law defending you know, big corporations. And, you know, I've always explained to the Senate staff, as well as, you know, when we went to the White House meeting and talked to White House counsel, I would say, look, when you are ethically responsible to zealously advocate for your clients and to advocate against the interests of the other side, and the other side has always been an individual. So you've spent an entire career zealously advocating against the individual that you naturally as a prosecutor think is lying about not being guilty of the crime that you're trying to put him in jail for, right? Then you go to big law and you zealously advocate for the corporate interest against the interest of an individual. It's impossible to not develop a bias. And maybe it's, it's not a malicious bias. I'm not saying that people are like, you know, have any sort of this, nothing nefarious behind the bias, but you just do because you see, you sympathize with your own clients. And you think, you know, that these individuals are out to get your clients. So when you go to the judicial water cooler, when you get your black robe and you zip it up and you're talking to the other judges, if they're all sitting around perpetuating the same perspective of, oh, these people who are fired and they sue because they just want money, well, they should have just done their job better. Or these people who, you know, are complaining of this or these consumer protections, they don't know how hard it is to run a corporation. Corporations really try. And so you have this natural sympathy for your corporation or the government, but you, you have a natural bias against the individual. And so what you need is balance. And you have to have people at the judicial water cooler who have spent their careers representing individuals, whether it be as a, a public defender or a criminal defense attorney who knows that not everybody charged with a crime is guilty, right? Or somebody in our position who represents workers. The amount of times that people come into our offices, you guys know this as well as I do. I mean, how many times do people come in your office? They're not looking for a lottery ticket. They're not looking for a payday. Half the time they say, I just want you to give me my job back. And you're like, what? You want to go back to the place where you were sexually harassed or called racial slurs? And they say, well, I'd like them to get rid of that guy or that person who called me those things. But I was good at my job and I need that job. I have three kids at home and they're not looking. They never wanted a lawsuit, never wanted a lawsuit. They always wanted their job. And so if I say that as an advocate to the judge, it's like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm an advocate. Of course, I'm going to say that. But if I put on that black robe and I'm not saying I want to be a judge because I don't, <laughs> I want other people to be judges. But, you know, if somebody who does what we do, puts on that black robe and they're to the judicial water cooler and they're on equal standing and they're on their peer to peer and they say, wait, time out, time out. You know, let me tell you about some of my clients and let me tell you about some of the experiences that I've had. And let me also tell you about some of the times that I've seen the underbelly of corporate America where, you know, not all corporations are bad by all means. 
but you can't have corporate America be as large as it is and have some of these corporations be as large as they are and not have some racist or sexist slip through the you know, cracks, right? Like you don't get to ask people in a job interview, hey, by the way, do you use racial slurs? Are you a bigot? Are you gonna sexually harass women? That just doesn't happen, but they're going to, it's statistically impossible to keep those people out of your workforce. So the charges as a corporation, when you see them, when they out themselves, like deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, yeah, somebody might sue you, but then you still have another opportunity to deal with it and to make sure that you litigate the case in a fair manner, provide a fair remedy if it needs to be. And, you know, eventually maybe a jury has to decide, maybe a judge has to decide, but, you know, we need balance on the court so that the court isn't stacked against individual interests. So that's why it's so important. That to me was the aha moment is, you have a lot of judges who have basically the same pedigree of resume. You have a lot of people who went to very good law schools, like you said, defended an institution, and it's rare that you have someone who defended solely an individual for a component of their career. And I think to me that clicked once you mentioned that, and I just look through, I look through a lot of judicial resumes, you get the same category of candidate. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's usually AUSA goes to big law. And, you know, now that I, I am happy, thrilled, extremely thrilled to report that President Biden's White House counsel sent a letter back in December to all the Senate Democrats and said, hey, we're going to make judicial nominations a priority and, and filling the judicial vacancies a priority. And by the way, we want to restore some of the demographic diversity, as you can imagine, the last administration kind of wiped that out. But we also want you guys to pay attention to professional diversity. And we want you to send us individuals for the federal bench who have been public defenders, who have been civil rights lawyers, who have been labor lawyers, they called it out by name. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is my dream come true, which tells you what a nerd I am, right? But I was like, this is amazing. Like they finally get it. This is amazing because imagine this. And, you know, so now I would say some of the members of the GOP are saying, well, that we shouldn't have these people on the bench. They're not uh, qualified. Like they, one of them recently said the public defenders aren't qualified because they've never done civil litigation. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the hundreds of prosecutors you confirm no problem, right? Like that's hypocrisy. And then they'll say, oh, well, it's not fair to put like a civil rights lawyer, a voting rights lawyer, an ACLU attorney on the bench because we shouldn't have a bench that's filled with, that, that's a bias. It's like, well, what do you, uh, okay, you have a bench that is uh, like largely filled with corporate lawyers. Nobody has ever said, oh, we can't have corporate lawyers on the bench, you know, and it's not, I'm not advocating that. Neela's not advocating that and Courts Matter is not advocating that. All of us are advocating for balance, a balance of perspective, a balance of demographics so that you can have a judiciary that serves the interests of the American people that I talked about at the beginning. And I think that's why it's so important. So I'm really looking forward to this opportunity to do that. And Courts Matter, just FYI, is meant to be, you know, NILA, of course, is a group for lawyers, right? Courts Matter is meant to raise awareness of the judiciary to lay people like you guys are doing with your podcast. So I applaud you for that. And I appreciate, you know, the efforts to, to educate people about how the law affects their everyday lives and, and is important. And that's what Courts Matter is hoping to make sure that people understand when you go to vote or when you go to call your senators, pay attention, pay attention to who's be being put on the bench because you can't unravel it. And it, they're going to be there for 40 years, you know, oftentimes. And it really, really matters in ways that you don't even understand to your everyday life, even in stuff like forced arbitration, right? I mean, 
that's a that's a heavy one to get into for the lay listener. But basically, if you own a cell phone, if your grandmother's in a nursing home, you know, uh, your cell, your cable cable company, like a lot of these, your bank, a lot of these things have forced arbitration that you agreed to without even knowing it, and you give up your right to a jury trial, and and that's stacked against the individual as well. So those things all matter. And how how do listeners find Courts Matter? So Courts Matter has a Facebook page, they have a Twitter page, they have a LinkedIn page. And if you just Google Courts Matter Illinois, that'll take you to any one of those things. Courts Matter Illinois also has what we routinely put on webinars or training sessions for the public. And for example, this past year we did, because it was an election year, we did why Courts Matter to whatever it was, environmental rights, why courts matter to LGBTQ rights, why courts matter to, and so it was very interesting, we would have subject matter experts come and talk at the webinars, and how those individual cases, as you guys know, last year, the Supreme Court decided the Bostock case that said, yeah, you know what, you can't discriminate against the LGBTQ community in employment, and that wasn't a certainty, that was an open question, and so the courts just, you know, helped give that protection to a huge segment of the American population. So those are things that I think people don't realize it's a judge that decided that, you know, so, but that's how people can find Courts Matter and they can participate in those things. They can get on our mail email list and, and raise awareness. And we'll often put out action alerts, you know, call your Senator and encourage them to, you know, support this nominee or, or support filling a vacancy. You know, maybe it would have been nice to fill that one vacancy when Scalia died. <laughs> so, well, um, and yeah. I'll vouch. I'll vouch for those events. About five, six years ago, when I actually first met Megan, there was a courts matter event. I I won't claim to know the exact subject matter, but it was on employment law and how cases are uh, cases come out. And I think it was for like League of League of Women Voters or or one of those types of groups you described earlier. And even as an employment litigator who knew this stuff, like having the facts of some of these pretty what to the three of us, I think, sitting here, if they threw this hypothetical set of facts in front of you and you say, do you think this is discriminatory or this is discrimination? And I think all of the three of us would be like a thousand times yes. And it's like, well, joke's on you because judge ruled summary judgment for the defense on this, under this, you know, on this, on this topic. And it comes out of your exact circuit. We're not talking about this coming from Alabama or or what have you. So no, these things matter a lot. They're really good events. And exactly. I'll just, I'll vouch and say courts matter and Megan know what they're talking about and they put on good stuff and, and Thank everybody check that stuff out. What? And the federal judiciary is one job where it's nearly impossible to get fired from, unlike every other job. It is nearly impossible. I mean, you have to be impeached and there have been a handful of impeachments in the 200 years or so, you know, that it is really impossible. And so once you're there, you're there for life and nobody can tell you to quit as everyone knows. (laughs) Yeah. If anybody wants a good pop culture, I think I've dropped a reference to this ep- to this uh, movie on another episode. But the trial of the Chicago Seven that came out this year that was a, a federal that that's a great. Ex- I mean, I haven't seen anything quite that insane lately. But but Judge Earl Hoffenberg in in the city of Chicago, not not in you know pre Jim Crow South or anything, was binding and gagging Bobby Seale in the courtroom oh. and just running a flat out political trial for the Nixon administration. And I don't think that movie really embellished too much so yeah I mean it's you know people don't really realize and that's one of the reasons how much the judiciary affects your life and what's going on in the judiciary and you know we are lucky we have some I mean I I would do want to say that the federal judges are are really great and you know it's lovely that they take their job seriously you know I I don't always agree with their opinions but I, I always do find that they 
they read your briefs, you know, and I mean, it's, I, I really appreciate the quality of judges that sit on our federal judiciary. I just want a better balance. And I think that that is not a tall ask at all. I mean, to literally just say, you know, we shouldn't have a federal judiciary that is made up of over 90% of one, you know, of, of a judge that is on the defense bar, the corporate, you know, that represent corporate interests. That's not unfair. Like, how could you ever argue that it's unfair to say, let's put people on the bench who have represented individual interests so that they bring that perspective as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. And anybody who says that there is, is just, you know, exposing themselves for having, for wanting to have a biased judiciary. And so I do hope that people will pay attention. You know, you can always call your senator when there's judiciary issues. And I encourage people to do that all the time, because sometimes the, the senator offices will tell us, well, nobody pays attention to the judiciary. And I'm like, yes, they do, because I'm telling them to. <laughs> so I will tell you guys, Max and Amit, to keep calling your senator's offices and tell them you care about the judiciary. <laughs> Megan, if anybody wants to find you or Courts Matter, we're going to try to drop these links in the show notes, but how can they find you and how can they find Courts Matter? They can find me at my firm's website, O'Malley and Madden, which is www.ompc-law.com. And Courts Matter, I think the easiest way to find them through their various social media pages is to just Google Courts Matter Illinois, and that'll take you to their Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, there's a Twitter page. And so that's that's full of information. There's a lot of judiciary Twitter pages that are very useful. In fact, just following the Senate Judiciary Committee is very useful. I would highly recommend that as well. Well, Megan, thank you again for coming on to talk to us, for plugging Courts Matter, for all you're doing in service of that organization and our judiciary and for everything else you do for our bar. So thank you so much. And uh, Megan, it's public knowledge, right? Your award. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Megan, Megan was, is being honored at, uh, this is going to drop after, so this will be retroactive, but Megan is being honored at Neela National this year for her extraordinary work. Um, I think it's for Courts Matter, right? Or is it for your jury? Well, for the Neela's Judicial Nominations Committee. And that is embarrassing because I really actually don't like to talk about myself very much, but I do like to talk about judicial noms. And I am grateful to you guys that you would dare to put what other people might think is a very boring topic, but it's so incredibly important. And I hope that your listeners will just, I don't know, and understand that the federal judiciary affects every single aspect of our lives and it's super duper important. And I really appreciate you guys have, having the willingness to talk about it and to have me on to do so. So thank you very much. Well, and Megan's being a little humble. She got the President Biden to change the judicial nomination process and I didn't get President Biden to change the judicial nomination process. No, you, 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 you heard it here. No, I didn't. Megan single-handedly changed the judiciary. Yeah. He wrote the Constitution. It's canon now. It's been said here. Just with Karen Duran's uh, Supreme Court decision, this was right up there with all the canon. Hey, as long as they'll let me start picking the judges, then we're all good. You guys want judge, federal judiciary posts? I think you'd both be great. You'll be like Oprah, and you get a judgeship, and you get a judgeship. You get a judge. <laughs> All of the members get judgeships and we'll balance out the courts. I'm, I'm for it. <laughs> Megan, thanks for coming on. Please subscribe and share. Thank you so much for having me. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host opinions. We are not your attorney. This podcast is not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.